Hi, I'm Jason Wacob, founder and co-CEO of MindBuddyGreen and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star review and comment. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness and make sure to check out all of our great offerings, including our online classes and trainings. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Jason Wacob, founder and co-CEO of MindBuddyGreen and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star review and comment. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness and make sure to check out all of our great offerings, including our online classes and trainings. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Diana Rogers is a real food dietitian, nutritionist, and author of the Homegrown Paleo Cookbook. She lives on a working organic farm and runs a clinical nutrition practice helping people with weight loss, blood sugar regulation, and healing gut issues. She speaks at universities and conferences internationally about nutrition and sustainability, social justice, animal welfare, and food policy issues. She's also working on a new book and film project exploring the important role of animals in our food system. She has a very strong and somewhat controversial point of view on meat consumption and its role in nutrition. Diana, welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, we are so glad you're here with us. And let's start with your personal journey to health. Sure. Um, Well, I found out when I was 26 that I have uh, celiac disease, which explains a lot of why I was so sick as a kid. Everything I ate basically just went straight through me and nobody could really figure out why I was underweight and had low muscle tone and, um, you know, problems concentrating and reading in school. Uh, so that answered a lot. But when I got diagnosed, I went to the dietitian who's one of the head gluten-free dietitians uh, in the area. And she basically just told me to, you know, take my, you know, low fat, mostly vegetarian standard American diet. And just here's, here's some gluten-free coupons for gluten-free bread, gluten, <laughs> gluten-free, you know, ice cream, gluten-free pasta, gluten-free beer, gluten-free cookies. And so I, I did that. I, I was, um, you know, eating a lot of processed gluten-free Foods and in fact, one of my um, roles when I worked at Whole Foods was approve was telling the grocery buyer which gluten free products I thought were the best ones because I was like the biggest consumer. You know, I there knew weren't that many back then. There either. weren't that many. I mean, it's a lot easier today. So I still had a lot of like blood sugar regulation issues, and I couldn't figure out why I was still hungry all the time. I had to have my gluten free granola bars in my bag all the time, and I. Um, it wasn't until I started eating more fat, I went to a Weston A. Price conference and um, the farm where I live. So at this whole time, my husband's a farmer and we're living on this farm and I'm, I had an off-farm job at the time. And we were hosting a raw milk pickup. And I was like, who are these people eating, drinking all this raw milk and eating all this butter? This is crazy, you know? And then I slowly started eating more fat myself and realizing how much better I felt and then decided to go back to school for nutrition. So first I went to Nutritional Therapy Association, which is very Weston A. Price focused, so just real food basically. And towards the end of that program, I had to do a book report. And uh, the assignment was we had to pick a a diet book that had a um, prescription diet in it, follow that diet, and then write about our experience on it. And so there was a book called The Paleo Solution that had just come out. And 
it changed my life. Like just uh, eating real foods, eating less carbs. I I'm realize now that I was definitely in metabolic syndrome, I'm very close to type two diabetes. And um, I just, I can't really eat a lot of processed carbs. And so eating a paleo type diet was the golden ticket. Like it really just worked so well for me. And at that time I decided to go back to school to become a dietitian. Um, you were surprised to find what they were teaching. Well, I knew what <laughs> I knew what I was getting myself into, but I also felt that if I really wanted to make big change, I needed that RD behind my name. Sure. And so I have a private practice now. I I use real food in my practice. I highly discourage ultra processed foods and sugars. Um, just try to get people to eat real food. My main focus is metabolic health, um, you know, balancing blood sugar and um, GI issues. And um, a lot of those things can be solved just by eating real food. So I have two two follow up questions. Mm-hmm. One, I know Weston Price. Mm-hmm. I think some of our listeners, but not all of our mm-hmm. listeners. So could you just give a quick background sure. on Price and his philosophy? Yeah, so uh, the basic philosophy behind the Weston A. Price, he was a dentist, and he went around and, and studied traditional diets all over the world. Actually, his hypothesis was that a vegetarian diet was the healthiest diet, but when he went around and, and looked at everybody, what he found was everyone was eating a lot of animal products. The healthiest people were eating a lot of animal fats. Anyhow, he wrote a book called Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, mm-hmm. which is really remarkable. You see the differences between um, traditional diets and then when people started eating uh, more Western processed foods. And so the idea is that our decline in health really has to do with um, our high intake of ultra processed foods. Mm-hmm. That really just resonated with me. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you look at the whole span of human existence, what's the newest things that uh, in our diets today, what's the, you know, the, the large bulk of what we're eating, about 70% is ultra processed foods. And so I truly do believe that that is one of the main drivers of most of our modern diseases today. Sure. So you also mentioned blood sugar and mm-hmm. lots of things can go wrong when that's out of whack. So yeah. what what does go wrong? And a lot of, I think people are suffering from that. And they don't know, like what, what should people look out for? Uh, so for me, what I felt when I would have these blood sugar dips was um, I would have tunnel vision. I would start feeling a little sweaty and shaky in between meals. If if you can't make it from breakfast to lunch without a snack, if you need a nap after lunch, I mean, these are all blood sugar regulation issues that can largely be solved by just kind of cutting out a lot of those processed carbohydrates in your diet and just sticking with a very basic diet of you know animal proteins, um, lots of vegetables, and some healthy fats. And how would you describe your food philosophy today? So I consider myself a real food dietitian. So I just believe again in minimizing processed foods. I mean, we, we all live in modern society. You know, I'm. Uh, last night I had some dessert when I went out to Gramercy Tavern and, and you know of course, indulged. Of course, have to. <laughs> um, but we all started our meal with oysters. I mean, oysters are a superfood, um, and so I, I do rely heavily on on animal products. I think that they're the most nutrient dense, most satiating, and lowest calorie way to get uh, all those great micronutrients in. But I also eat a lot of vegetables. I live on an organic vegetable farm. Um, so I'm, I'm a big believer in vegetables. Um, as far as fruits, I eat a lot of seasonal berries and things like that, but I'm, I'm careful. I mean, um, you know, people didn't traditionally have access to bananas and mangoes and orange juice, you know, 24 seven. 
Um, so, uh, so I just try to keep the, the sweets to a minimum, and that's generally how I advise my, my nutrition clients. So would it be fair to say something along the lines of our favorite Michael Pollan quote, eat food, not too much, mostly plants? Well, um, would you tweak that? I would tweak that a little bit, actually, because I, I don't think that meat is a condiment. And I don't think that for a lot of people, eating less meat actually leads to better health. I think in general, most people actually aren't eating enough protein, um, and they're not getting enough of those critical micronutrients that you can get from animal products in their bodies. Uh, so iron and B12 deficiency are the most common nutrient deficiencies worldwide, especially among women and children. And we're not going to get that with more salad. We're going to get that through animal products. And so I actually don't believe in less meat, better meat. I believe in in just better meat and to eat the, the right amount for your body. And you know, for people with blood sugar regulation issues, for people who have high stress, for anyone over 40, I mean, we're talking about twice the RDA of protein. So that's about 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. So starting people around 100 grams of protein per day, which kind of looks like four to six ounces of animal protein per meal. So that's that's... That's it's not, not that a much. condiment. It though. almost is, though. If you go to like a, some restaurants, that's like if you go to, if, for instance, if you go to a steakhouse, like steaks are, are start at like sixteen to twenty four ounces. So it's that's still yeah four four is not that much. Right for for a woman, it would be four to six yeah. ounces. Um, but I think there's a perception that all Americans are coming home to a seventy two ounce T bone every night, like some kind of Fred Flintstone sure. thing. Only when they go to Chili's. <laughs> Um, and, and actually, the reality is that we're all, Americans are only eating um, less than two ounces of red meat per day, or of beef per day, I should say. Um, we're eating a lot more chicken and way more processed food and inflammatory, right. highly processed vegetable oils than we ever have before. And so that's the real problem here. It's not meat. So what does your food pyramid look like personally? Is it, If pollen was, say, you know, 70% plants, 20% animal products and 10%, you know, process, like what is your, well, I guess per volume on the plate, you know, like, uh, I mean, if, you know, I think in terms of calories and so most of my calories are coming from animal products, but I mean, if you're looking at a plate, my plate is very plant based. Mm -hmm. Um, but I always have a big healthy chunk of, you know, salmon or steak or, you know, some kind of animal product, lots of eggs, things like that. So in terms of, I'm just like, if you were to rank your animal products in ter- from a nutritionist perspective, your perspective, mm-hmm. what are like the, the best top, top three to five, if you will? So um, shellfish are off the charts, just yep. uh, oysters in particular, just totally one of the biggest superfoods. Americans don't eat enough seafood, um, fatty fish, uh, definitely. And actually my favorite animal protein is is seafood and then organ meats as well um we definitely are not eating enough organ meat so a things lot of like people liver. Have, yeah trouble wrapping their head around that i mean one. if you don't like it there's a lot of people that you know take desiccated liver capsules from grass-fed cattle so um that can be a great way of getting some liver in really hard to meet your iron requirement if you're not eating organ meats um, i actually did a challenge um, not too long ago where i was trying to get all my micronutrients through real food every day for a whole month and without organ meats, you just you can't get that iron. Right. Um, and then real meat. So beef is actually way more nutrient dense than chicken or pork. 
and you know we'll get into the environmental case for sure. for why I think grazing animals are such a important ro- have a, such an important role in our in our food system. Um, but I think plant based proteins just are not as nutrient dense. They're not as bioavailable to us. We can't absorb the protein from them as well as we can from animal products. So I really stick with real food straight from the farm or from the sea or from you know sure the, the way they come. I just want to stay on oysters for a moment because yeah. it's the summer and, you know, we're in the mood for oysters here. Yeah. It's the summer. It's like the perfect, like, what other seafood? Sardines are amazing, yep. really high in omega-3s. Um, I eat a lot of salmon, Arctic char. Um, you know, sustainability has to has exactly. to play a role in that as yeah. well. Um, but shellfish are quite sustainable. And just eating, like, six oysters is... I was just uh, I was just actually with my friend Drew Ramsey yesterday, and we were sure. talking about oysters, and he's who, who he's I, been on this podcast. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, we, I he just, loves oysters for brain health. Yes. Uh, so I just interviewed him for my the film I'm working on yesterday, and I he's he was my dining partner at Gramercy Tavern last night. So um, we we started our meal with the um, two farmers getting together. Yes, I know. <laughs> so you mentioned sustainability. Mm-hmm. Something else you're really passionate about is regenerative agriculture. Mm-hmm. Why so important to you? Well, I think that there's a lot of people that are starting to consider sustainability and climate change as far as it relates to our our food choices. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people are getting that wrong um, and thinking that, you know, animals have no place in a sustainable food system. But when we look at regenerative agriculture, so the idea is that we're not just maintaining, but we're actually improving the land. Uh, we actually need animals as part of that system. So um, in order to grow vegetables, you need inputs in the soil, and you're either going to get them from chemical inputs, so you know chemical fertilizers made from fossil fuels, which actually emit <laughs> uh, tons of, of greenhouse gases when we extract them, or we can use animal inputs. And so we can use animal manure and you know blood and bones from animals. That's what people have always traditionally used as inputs for their vegetables and not only for you know vegetable growing but also um, cattle grazing on land actually has quite a lot of benefits when they're managed properly and so the idea behind a you know regenerative agriculture system that includes animal inputs or animals as part of the grazing system um, we're constantly moving them all the time so it's not just a matter of putting cows on grass and just letting them at it for the whole summer Um, they actually have to be moved quite regularly and in that movement process which mimics how herds of bison or herds of wildebeest would move you know across the savannas we're actually able to give the land that they had just grazed a rest and that's when we can actually capture carbon in the soil and so this is something that's beneficial for the environment Yes. I mean, and not only the carbon capture, but if you think of a field of soybeans or, you know, pea plants, think of all the life that had to be annihilated in order for that one food, we call it a monocrop, to to happen on that. There's, you know, a forest needed to be cut down or uh, a prairie needed to be tilled in and all the life that was there disappears. But when you're on a ranch that is practicing regenerative agriculture, you're actually increasing the wildlife, increasing the birds, you're making better habitat because that's how natural ecosystems work. They're not monocrops. They actually incorporate animals. Uh, land wants to be covered. And not only do we have more animals, but we also have a higher diversity of plants. And that makes for a more resilient uh, system. And there was a recent study on this. 
Yeah, so there was a study. Um, actually, I'll be with one of the people involved in the study th- next week coming up uh, for, for the film I'm working on, um, where they compared uh, one farm in Georgia, White Oak Pastures, and they looked at the benefits that his grazing system, which is similar to what I described, where he's moving his animals constantly. Um, they looked at actually the carbon he's sequestering, and it turns out that you would actually have to eat one grass-fed burger from White Oak Pastures in order to offset your emissions for every uh, Beyond Burger that you would eat. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> so I take it you're not a fan of the Beyond Burger. Well, I think that um, there's a lot of tech solutions out there that seem really promising, um, but w- what we're looking at is just a ultra-processed food that um, is you know, further driving people away from those who are producing their food. So I think the whole idea is that we need to be um, supporting actual farmers and not um, big food. Right. I'd say what what we've we've discussed the Beyond Burger on here before and what the general sentiment is, it's, hey, it's not healthy. And B, it's probably not as good as you think it is for the environment. But if you're vegan, it's fantastic. If you're vegan and you want to eat something that tastes like a burger, have at it. Although a black bean burger is probably better. Yeah, I would say probably, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a lot of work that needs to go yeah. into making a vegan diet um, healthy, uh, but certainly making something from scratch out of real food would probably be a lot healthier. Yeah. And so going back to regenerative ag, some people say, well, it can't feed the world, it can't scale. What do you say to that? Yeah, that's a really common criticism that we get. And um, a lot of the examples that we're looking at are small scale. But what we're facing is a collapsing food system. So um, we're running out of arable land. We don't have a lot of cropland. Most of the Earth's surface is actually better suited towards grazing than it is towards crop production. There's just, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, if we get rid of the animals, that doesn't mean that we have more land for soybeans. Actually, you know, grazing animals are the most appropriate solution in, in most of our ag land. So like when I see these memes on social media saying, you know, livestock takes up three quarters of our agricultural land. Well, it's like, yeah, because most of our agricultural land is actually better suited towards grazing and not towards plowing and uh, crop production. We're destroying our soils with the way we produce food, and we're we're just running out of soil. We need we need solutions like regenerative agriculture in order to rebuild the soil health. You know, we need to be increasing our productivity, and by better management of uh, cattle, we can actually produce many more pounds of, of animal protein per acre than uh, in more conventional systems. And help our carbon footprint along the way. Exactly, and lower our diabetes uh, epidemic at the same time. So protein is really our most valuable resource. Um, a lot of people that are comparing, oh, well, I can grow you know, this much potatoes or, or tomatoes, and it's like that, that's not as valuable as animal protein right. to um, the human food system. So I mentioned a black bean burger before when we were mm-hmm. talking about veggie burgers, and it got me thinking, I wonder what Diana's thoughts are on lectins. I'm not as fearful of lectins as a lot of people have made them out to be. I think that there's a lot of foods that are problematic to a lot of people. Um, I have celiac, so I can't eat gluten. I don't think everyone needs to be gluten-free. 
but a lot of people who aren't celiac seem to benefit from a gluten-free diet. But I, I really try to avoid, you know, vilifying food groups sure. and um, just kind of take it case by case. I agree with that. And I, I would say that some, for example, a lot of people have a problem with corn and people will say, well, the problem with corn is so much of it's GMO and that's the problem. And then if we start talking about beans, well, some people have a problem with that, some people don't, and then it's how much, are you vilifying the whole category or is GMO corn the same as organic beans? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, um, people should just go for the most nutrient-dense foods there are, and, right. and beans just are not as nutrient-dense. They're, you know, to get 30 grams of protein, um, you could eat 450 calories worth of beans. To make that a complete protein, you would need 1,000 calories of beans and rice or you could eat 200 calories worth of steak. Wow. So, you know, if, if and and the nutrients I'm getting from that steak, I'm getting B12, I'm getting iron, I'm getting zinc. I mean, a lot of things that are much lower quantities are non-existent in plant-based proteins. So in your opinion, what are some of the foods, you know, w- w- with food in general, there, there, there are trends and foods are hot, people get excited about it, then there's a new food in town. Uh, in your opinion, what are the most underrated and overrated with this lens of nutrient density? Yeah, I mean, again, shellfish um, yep. are a superfood, but also organ meats and, and just good old steak. Really, really grass healthy. Fed, grass finished, though. Uh, well, there's some nuance to that as well. Um, some of the studies have, have not found huge differences between um, grass-fed and typical uh, steak. So, it, you know, it depends on the producer. It depends on... Um, omega-3s for example steak is just not a good source of Mm omega-3s and so uh, you would still need to eat eight pounds of grass-fed steak to get the same omega-3s you could get a three ounce piece of salmon so yeah so it it, like eight pounds of three ounces yeah so even double the (laughs) omega-3s it's like two pennies is double the money but it's still pennies you know um so i think if people want to have more omega-3s in their diet and less omega-6s get rid of the processed foods and eat more meat and vegetables and, and throw in some fatty fish. Wild salmon's pretty amazing. Wild salmon is, a, a, yes, Throwing that is megas. there is a, a big difference in wild salmon compared to farm fish. And then, yeah. and then what's overrated? Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I just see a lot of trends. I think people are really confused about food and um, ho- looking for that magic bullet that's just going to be an easy fix. Of course, that's... <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, when we look at the whole diet... Just get rid of the processed foods. Right. Every month there seems to be a new, you know, it's it was kale 10 years ago was the magic thing. And, and now it's, I don't know, chia or a, a kai. Sea vegetables. Uh, yeah, sea vegetables are pretty amazing. I, I love seed vegetables. Yeah. And there's some actually really cool stuff happening um, with uh, Green Wave, I think is the name of the organization that's teaching farmers how to produce kelp with lots of shellfish and stuff. So that's really cool. People don't know what to do with kelp, so that's a little bit of a problem. But I think uh, definitely seaweed is, I'm excited about seaweed. Uh, I think that's really great, or sea vegetables. That sounds a little bit better than seaweed, I guess. Yes. But I I think in general, we just need to kind of get back to what humans have been eating for millennia and um, stop looking for these, these magic foods. So speaking of magic foods and trends, two things that are very trendy at the moment. And, and there's some some strong science, but I want your opinion. I'm lumping them together, although they're two separate things. Keto and intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. What's your take? 
Um, I like keto a lot. I think a lot of people clearly have really recovered their health. And um, I've actually followed a lot of the cases that are coming out of Sarah Hallberg's clinic in Indiana with reversing type 2 diabetes with a ketogenic diet. And it's really revolutionary because she can, it's, it's hard in nutrition science to prove that someone was compliant to your diet. But on keto, you actually can with biomarkers. So you can measure their the, the ketones in their blood and, and show that they were actually in ketosis. And so it's a really great diet to be able to prove that a low-carb diet works to reverse type 2 diabetes. So I think it can be amazing. But I also think that there's a lot of people out there chasing ketones and sometimes um, kicking up the protein a little bit and not worrying so much about your ketone levels can make you feel fuller and actually give you more nutrient density. So I'm actually more excited about the idea of chasing nutrients than chasing uh, ketones. Got it. And what about IF? I haven't seen a lot of really rigorous data showing that IF is a really credible intervention. There's definitely a lot of anecdotes out there. Um, It seems to work for a lot of people. I haven't seen it work that great for, especially for women in Mm -hmm. high stress. So I think, you know, if, if it's working for somebody, that's awesome. If it's stressing you out and spiking your cortisol and, and just making you, you know, an angry person, then then you shouldn't be doing it. So I feel um, like that's a good philosophy for for life and diet and wellness in general. Yeah. So I'm more excited about keto than I am about IF. Got it. And so you're, you're here, you're traveling, you travel a lot. For someone who tries to eat as close to nature as possible, mm-hmm. what happens when you travel? What do you, how do you do that? What do you travel with? How do you, what are your travel hacks? Uh, so I stay at Airbnbs a lot, um, and I'll, I'll hit a Whole Foods or, or a grocery store and try to get eggs. Uh, and I, I actually have these little travel packs of ghee that I use that I'll bring oh, cool. with me so I don't have to buy a whole stick of butter when I, you know, I'm in a location for three days. Uh, so just not eating breakfast out is also a lot easier for someone with celiac because eggs are often cooked on the same griddle with pancakes yep. and uh, having a, a gluten reaction when you're on a shoot is not fun. <laughs> so I, I try to really control at least the breakfast there. And then, um, you know, it's not always possible to find a, far- a farm to table restaurant, but I do try to do that whenever I'm in a new place. But if I can't find, you know, grass fed beef, I'm still going to get some meat. Um, I still think that that's, um, you know, even typical beef can be a really healthy choice and, you know, some meat and salad, some fish and salad, something like that. And so not everyone can get everything they need from food sometimes Mm -hmm. and people supplement. How do you supplement? How do you view supplements? What, what do you, what do you take? What do you typically find yourself recommending to people? Um, so I, I don't recommend a ton of supplements because I, I think people should be getting their nutrients through food. Um, but I do think that supplements can be helpful, but, you know, really specific and in the context of, of that person's need. So, you know, some people could benefit from some uh, berberine to help them with their guts and with their blood sugar. Um, I'm taking serine right now to just help, like, lower cortisol and just help me fall asleep a little bit easier because I'm just always in a different location. It's harder to fall asleep. Can and take magnesium. I can't take magnesium because really? I'm just, my guts are so sensitive that even if you take magnesium by glycinate. Yeah. yeah got it. Nothing. Yeah. No magnesium. I hear you. The yeah. other one tries GABA. 
Uh, yeah, I've taken 5-HTP. Yep. Yeah, I've taken some GABA precursors. Um, but I, I just tend to, when I'm traveling, I'm just kind of sometimes just in survival mode. Sure. But I think there can be helpful ones. Um, but I get nervous when people are using, for example, B12 supplements um, can actually increase your need for B12. Folic acid supplements can mask a B12 deficiency, especially in pregnancy, which is really critical not to be B12 deficient. Uh, you know, supplement industry is not regulated, especially the probiotic industry can be really super sketchy with, um, you know, people just lying about, uh, yes. you know, <laughs> what's in the supplement or the numbers of, of little yep. critters that are in there and stuff. So I'm skeptical of the supplement industry, but I, you know, I think if someone has a hard time getting in enough protein, getting some grass-fed whey protein in their smoothies can be a great solution for some people. Uh, so I guess it's just a case by case basis and, you know, but I, I think it should be a lot more targeted than it is. I I get nervous when people are like, I heard on a podcast that everything's good for everybody. Yeah. And, and, and they don't even know why they're taking something or, you know, there's huge variety in, in quality with different brands. And so, and I've actually had a lot of people come to me with, um, toxicity from take over taking like. B12 or, or B6 or whatever. And, you know, some of those B vitamins are really good at like growing tumors. So yeah. it's just really important to be very, very careful when taking supplements and really do your research. And if you're on something long term, just be and cautious. Knowing what's in it and yeah. trust. You mentioned the toxicity. It made me think of CBD and sort of the Wild West in that market right now. Yeah. Heavy metals and no one knows what's going on. And the, I, I have a feeling the landscape's going to change dramatically in the next couple of years. Yeah. The, the industry's too big and the FDA is taking notice. It's just, it's, there's yeah. a lot of snake oil. Yes. Yes, there definitely is. And so what has you excited like right now and what, like there's so much, we've been, I've been at this for 10 years, not a long time. And I feel like I'm still new. Uh, and where the world is today is completely different from where it was a couple of years ago and 10 years, entirely different landscape. Like what's exciting to you? What trends in terms of food, in terms of wellness? Like where do you think we're going? What do you think we're going to be talking about a year from now? Well, I think, um, you know, I'm glad that fat has been vindicated. You know, people are realizing that margarine was a horrible mistake and, and, and that people should just be probably eating real butter. Most, most people can agree that fat can be a good thing now. Uh, meat has become the latest scapegoat. And not only is it, you know, bad for health, but it's bad for the environment and it's bad to eat animals. And that movement is really growing. And um, so that's where... I've been putting most of my energy, obviously, because I'm, I'm working on all these projects that are that are trying to show that meat is nutrient dense. It can be great for the environment, and and I do address the ethics of, you know, what a diet of least harm looks like, and does that, you know, necessarily have to exclude animals from that. Um, I think this is getting hotter and hotter, and I'm seeing more and more people take more of a passionate stance on this. I really think that animal protein is where a lot of people are sort of focusing their energy right now. And so you've got a film. I do. Let's talk about the film. This is exciting. Yes. So I'm working on a project called Sacred Cow. Um, So I have a book that I'm co-authoring with Rob Wolf, who wrote The Paleo Solution, and a film project that I'm um, in town right now working on, doing interviews and, and talking to production houses. 
everything will be out next year. So I mean, 2020. Yeah, yeah. So summer 2020, I hope to come back and, and talk about everything yes. when it comes out. And what I've done is really uh, through the podcast that I've worked on. So I have my own podcast called Sustainable Dish Podcast. And I've been interviewing people for many years now in um, health and sustainability and have really connected with the leading experts in greenhouse gases, in, you know, livestock, the importance of livestock in developing countries where you can't just, you know, irrigate and, and, and till and, and grow soy and mental health. So Drew Ramsey there. Um, so I've kind of organized all these experts. And we also are following some stories of regenerative ranchers that are that are doing amazing work and going against against the grain, basically. Like Just, our friends, Katie and Taylor at Epic. That's right. Rome Ranch. Yep. And so they've been huge supporters of my work. They're actually sponsoring me to go do a talk at um, the Ancestral Health Symposium in a couple of weeks that I'm going to be writing the presentation this afternoon. So, you know, as we're, as we're looking at what the future of food is and as we see, you know, like Beyond Burgers IPO and, and all these other, you know, um, companies coming up with lab meats and, and other kind of protein alternatives, nobody seems to be pushing back and, and questioning, is this the right solution? And it's sort of just, you know, the idea with sacred cow is just sort of, it's assumed that meat's unhealthy, that meat's bad for the environment, and, and no one's really touching that. Um, they're showing these vegan propaganda films in my son's high school in science class, and there's no counter-argument. Um, his science teacher actually told the whole class to eat Beyond Burger if they want to, you know, do better for the environment. And she did get a strong email from me. <laughs> um, public school or private school? Public school. This is not part of the curriculum. This is, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a very complex topic. There's a lot of nuance. It's not an easy story to unpack. So I've spent the last three years writing this book and uh, the last two years working on this film. And I'm just really hoping that, you know, to, to introduce another voice out there that, um, you know, quite credible. We've, we've got a lot of really great experts from the United Nations, um, medical doctors, um, all arguing that um, we absolutely need animals in our food system. So any parting words to someone listening who's, who's saying to themselves, I'm confused. She's saying eat more meat. Some people say less. Eat, eat meat. Like, what do I do? And what, and I, what is your, your, your general advice to someone out there who's just looking to live a healthier, happier life mm -hmm. and also do the right thing for the planet? How would you, what would your advice be to them? To buy the best meat that they can afford. And, you know, if they're having any problems with, uh, you know, I mean, Increasing animal protein is usually, you know, a really great way to balance your blood sugar, to help with weight loss, to help with um, nutrient deficiencies. You know, I don't know where everyone's but status but, is. But don't right, eat with, bacon all day, every day. Uh, Probably not a good thing. Well, the, you know, the even the, the studies against bacon, it's interesting that they were showing that there was a slight increase in colon cancer in Western societies, but not in Asia. So the studies that they looked at in Asia actually showed no correlation at all. Um, so, you know, if, if it's such a, a villain, we would actually see it in all cultures, not just Western cultures. So is it the bacon or, it, you know, the hot dog or is, is it, it the you know, processed food or the is bun it, and, and, or that hyper palatable combination of, you know, the bun and the fries and the Coke and, and all those things that kind of come with a hot or dog. Or the preservatives you're putting in the bacon. Right, exactly. So I, I just think that um, I don't eat... 10 pounds of bacon every single day, but I don't, I don't, um, avoid 
you know, bacon either. So I think that we've been sold a lie. I think it's very sexy right now, um, especially like in Hollywood, to be plant-based. And I think, you know, if you're really healthy and you're genetically gifted, you've been dealt a really good, you know, stack of cards for, for your health. Um, if you have the privilege to push away a nutrient-dense food and to, you know, have a private chef making you the perfect <laughs> meals, then, then that's great. But I think, for example, uh, the Meatless Mondays campaign in the New York City public schools, you know, taking a nutrient-dense food off the plate when 10% of these kids are homeless and 70% are low income, when there's absolutely no evidence to show that um, eliminating meat once a day is going to do anything for planetary health or human health, um, is a huge social justice tragedy. The vilification of meat is actually allowing processed food to get a clean pass. And, you know, school lunch has major problems, well, but so, it's not the right, meat. It's like, what meat were they giving them? Was it really crappy bologna? Yeah, but I mean, if, if, hey, if it's a burger or mac and cheese, I still want the kid to eat the burger. Got it. So I, I just think when we, when we take meat off the plate, what are we putting on the plate in, in exchange? And it's not kale. I mean, like, that's not what kids are eating more of, right? So you've got a couple bites a day that you can get in their bellies. And, you know, animal protein is something that a lot of kids will eat that has uh, a lot of nutrients per calorie. And that's it's not the big problem here. It, the problem is processed foods. Amen to that. Diana, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm.